see how smooth I did that. Um, but I, I was just trying. Start saying that, and it starts thundering outside. Um, but uh, I struggled with what to preach. And then last night about 8.30, I was sitting in my recliner. I'd already given up. I had looked at everything I could think to look at. And I had given up, and I said, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And um, all of a sudden, it hit me that I had not done my daily butt yet. And it was 8.30 at night. So I looked to my daily butt, which last night was Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. And as I read that scripture, and I read the verses around it, God just and downloaded a sermon into my brain. In the process of looking for something to preach, I had looked through the slides. I'm giving you all the behind-the-scenes stuff tonight. I, I, I had looked through the slides in our Proclaim program, and I come across this slide and this title, Let's Talk About It. And I begin to think, we're going into summer. And there are a lot of ideas and thoughts that I think we may just need to talk about a little bit. And so I felt like that's where God was heading me. This is going to be one of those Sunday night series that's going to go till I'm done. Uh, next week, uh, we've got prayer service. The next week is Mother's Day and graduation, so we won't have any service on Sunday night of Mother's Day. The next week, we have a guest speaker. I won't preach again. And then the next week is Memorial Day weekend. We typically don't do Sunday night on Memorial Day weekend. So it may be sometime in June before I get another Sunday night to preach. But as far as I want to take this, we're going to talk on Sunday nights about this idea of let's talk about it. We're going to take some topics and we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about tonight unity. We're going to talk in the coming weeks, in the coming months. We're going to talk about things like the Holy Ghost. We're going to talk about things like revival. We're going to talk about things like forgiveness. We're going to talk about some things that we say we believe. Some things that we say we want. But yet, it seems over and over and over again, we live our lives to keep them from happening. We say we want unity as long as everybody agrees to do it our way. We say we want the Holy Ghost to move as long as he doesn't affect the way we live our lives. We say we want forgiveness. We want everybody to forgive us, but we don't have to forgive anybody else. So we're going to talk about some of these things. Why do this on a Sunday night, Pastor? Because I believe that Sunday night crowd's a pretty tough crowd. And I think you can handle some true preaching. I have to sugarcoat Sunday mornings a little bit. Y'all know how much I do that on Sunday morning. I, I have to lay out the easy stuff on Sunday morning. So Sunday night, I feel like I can let it go a little bit. I can, I can let my hair down, as it were, 
on Sunday night. So tonight we're going to talk about unity. I want you to open your Bibles with me. Amen. Philippians chapter 2. I'm only going to read four verses, verses 1 through 4. If you'll stand with me for the reading of the word tonight, I will be reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you right now. And Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your power. I thank you and I praise you for your anointing. I thank you and I praise you for your promise. But most importantly, God... I thank you and I praise you that you put me together with other believers so that I could learn what it meant to live in unity, to live in peace, and to live in harmony. Lord, I pray that you would allow me to speak with your boldness, your anointing, and your wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Unity is one of those terms, one of those phrases that when we begin to talk about unity, everybody goes, yes, we want unity. But we only want unity in our way. I, you're no different than I am. I want unity too. But I want unity to be my way. I share this story often. I shared it at lunch today. Every pastor that I know, our number one goal in pastoral work is to achieve unity in the church because we understand where there is unity, there is power. And, and, and uh, I, I tried to start a church early in our ministry and it didn't work and I wound up going to pastor another church. And, and, and I have to admit, in that church, that first existing church I'd ever pastored, is the only church that I feel like I ever completely found complete and total unity. I pastored there for one year and one day. And one year and one day after I took the mantle of leadership in that church, I got up in the pulpit and I read a letter of resignation. And as I resigned, I was happy and they were happy and we had achieved perfect unity. We were all celebrating that day. But I'm telling you that there's more to unity than being glad that the pastor's leaving. There's more to unity than being glad that they chose your way to go. They chose the color of carpet you wanted. They chose the music you wanted. See, that's what we think unity is. When they choose what we want, then we're unified. 
But the truth of the matter is, unity is a spiritual condition that has nothing to do with what I want. Unity is a spiritual place where we start understanding that it is no longer about me, it's no longer about you, but it's about us. We waste too many days and too many nights fighting about wills and ideas and memories and traditions. And and we spend too much time dwelling on the little stuff. You know, it's not, it's typically not a fight over the Bible that we find disunity in. But rather it becomes a fight over which version of the Bible. It's not the words of the Scripture. It's who we trust to interpret the words of the Scripture. Oh, come on. I read NLT tonight, and that made some of your your livers quiver. Oh, why is he reading the NLT? Hey, let me be honest. Some people get up here and they read the NIV, and I'm like, oh, why would they do that? I don't like that version. But we spend our time not arguing about the truth of the Word of God, but we spend our time being divided over which translation. We don't spend our time arguing about whether or not to worship God, but instead we begin to argue about what style we should worship God in. If we would learn that unity has to come above our taste, then we can find out something amazing. You may love the King James Bible. And I may love the New Living Translation. But you know what I found out? We can still be in unity because what we celebrate is the Word of God. You can love a redback hymnal, and I can love Petra Praise. Boy, now that even dated me right there. You may love the Gaither vocal band. And I may love newsboys. But the style, a difference in style doesn't have to bring disunity. If we understand that we can praise God with a hymn and we can praise God with Petra praise. We can praise God with Gaither Vocal Band, and I like some of that stuff. Again, remember, I once tried out for a Southern Gospel Quartet and was going to go on the road. I know that seems shocking. Not just that they were going to let me sing on the road, but that that it was Southern Gospel. But 
It can be the Gaither Vocal Band or it can be the Newsboys or Toby Mac or DC Talk. If we're giving glory to God, we can, we can come in unity to the praise. I got news for you. When you get to heaven, all the praise going to God ain't going to look like what you think. Because not only are you going to have the different generations that are alive on this world, but you're going to have every generation that's been alive in history that is going to be giving glory and praise to God. And we've got to learn what unity is here. Unity goes beyond our taste. It goes beyond our preference. And it goes to the bigger picture of what God is. So how do we get there? Well, Paul here writing to the Philippian church gives us some instruction. The first thing he says is, is there any? Is there any encouragement from being belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Is there anything According to Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, is there anything good that comes from serving God? Hello? Everybody's going, it's a trick question. It's a trick question. Is there anything good from serving God? I got news for you. We will never find unity until we find the joy of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Until we get to a place that we understand that I can be happy with whatever style of music I like over here, but I can be happier if I'm by Jesus' side. It doesn't matter what kind of music I'm listening to. You see, when we begin to understand, it says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Oh, every day I walk, I get encouraged. Every day I trust him, I get encouraged. I find victory. Why? Because he is true to his word. Is there any comfort from his love? Have you been there when the love of God has wrapped its arms around you, when you didn't deserve it, when you hadn't earned it, when you realized that all you deserved was death, but the love of God has wrapped itself around you like arms strong and mighty, and you feel the comfort of his love? You know that if he said, I will do it, it will get done. You've seen it happen. You've seen the miracles. You've seen the victory. Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? Have you ever been there when you felt alone and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came down and filled the car where you were driving or filled the bedroom where you were sitting or filled the hospital room where you were waiting or filled the mortuary where you were saying goodbye and you felt that spirit come in. You didn't need another hand. You didn't need somebody else touch you. All you needed to know is that the power of the... Have you ever been... 
lay on the top of your head and you felt the anointing and somewhere you get that human mind and you go, oh, who's praying? And you look behind you and there's nobody there. Am I the only one ever felt those five fingers lay across the top of my head and there was no human body standing behind me, but it was the hand of the power of the Holy Ghost? It was a fellowship with me. It says, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Have these things led you to a place where you become softer than you used to be? I'm not sure. I think the Holy Ghost has made me harder than I used to be, but that's beside the point. I used to preach nice sermons. I don't preach nice sermons no more. But have you been there when all of a sudden because the Spirit's in you, you have mercy and you have grace on other people and you you reach out with care? What Paul is saying in this first verse He's saying that before we can ever get to unity, we've got to understand what we're shooting for. We're not shooting for a shout. We're shooting to understand that if we come together, we can achieve what he has. What are we achieving? We're achieving encouragement from belonging to Christ. We're achieving comfort from his love. We're achieving fellowship with the Spirit. We're achieving tender hearts and compassionate hearts. How do we do that? You don't do it by yourself. We do it with each other. Several years ago, I preached a sermon called Better Together. If you'll remember that night I preached better together was the night that we announced that Bradley was going to Turning Point to pastor. And I got in this pulpit, and I knew for a fact that there were people sitting in the audience that would go with him to Turning Point. And that church that was hurting and struggling was going to come alive again. And our church was going to push them out, allow them to go, allow them to be gone. And we were going to rebuild. And I promised you that we would be better in this city because these two churches were together. Oh, has it always been easy? No. Do I wish all of them were back in this building? Yes. But our city, our faith, our walk, our victory is better because we have a unity. Now, how do we move in our church into a place of unity? The first thing we have to understand is we're not looking for our way. We are looking for his encouragement, his comfort, his fellowship, his tenderness, his compassion. We're not looking for what we think. We're looking for what he has. What does he have? Well, we have to look to our past for that. We have to understand what happens when unity happens. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were gathered together in one mind and in one accord. That's not a Honda. That's unity. They were together together in one mind, in one place, and in one purpose. Why? 
Because Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When they stayed there and they didn't go out and seek their own thing, they didn't go looking for their own answers, they didn't go looking for their own comfort, they didn't go looking for the rest of their own homes, but instead they stayed there in that upper room for 10 days waiting on something. They didn't know when it was coming. They didn't know what it was going to be when it got there. But somebody may have said, what are we waiting on, God? I don't know, but we'll know it when we see it. And all of a sudden there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind and it filled the house where they were sitting and they saw as it were cloven tongues of fire that split apart. The word of Christ was fulfilled in their unity. Oh, we can shout. But is there any? Is there any of that power? Is there any of that anointing? I I don't want to hear what happened 10 years ago or six years ago or six months ago. I don't want to hear what happened when Pastor Ryan was here or Pastor Darnell was here or when Brother Curtis came or when Brother David came. I don't even want to hear what happened when I preached that message or this message or when I anointed people in the yard and blinded eyes were open. I I don't want to hear about that. My question is, when we walk in that door, do we come in expecting the move and the anointing of the Holy Ghost? And if we're not seeing it, it's not because The pastor's not here. It's not because the songs were wrong. It's not because the sermon was wrong. It's because the unity wasn't there. What does Jesus say? I think Jesus said it's in the Bible. I know it's in the Bible. Whenever two or three gather together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. It has to be Jesus because it said in my name. I'll let my my one taking her test here next week. She can look up the scripture verse for me. <laughs> but it, it, it he says that whenever two or three gather together in his name, what is his, his name about? It's not a it, yes, it's about the literal name of Christ, but that's not what he's talking about. He says when they gather together in my unity, in one thought. We're here for Jesus Christ. Our problem is we think that if we come in and go, oh, in Jesus' name, we're here. That's not what it takes. We've got to come in and say, listen, you like King James and I not like New Living Translation. You like to wear a tie even on Sunday night, and I don't like to ever wear a tie. I got hair and you don't have hair. But yet, when we come together, it doesn't matter if we're bald, if we're wearing a tie, reading out of a New King James Bible, if we're singing a hymn or singing a chorus, 
it doesn't matter because I'm not here just saying in Jesus' name, but I've come to glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and I don't care how it's done. I don't care what. Do you know somebody real quickly tell me what style of music they sang in the upper room? You can't. Somebody tell me real quick. Did they get up and preach in a voice that sounded something like this? And they talked about that Jesus was going to send the promise. Or did they get up and say, Jesus has told us to wait. You can't tell me because we don't know. The Bible doesn't say they gathered together in the upper room and they sang old-fashioned music. It doesn't say they gathered together in the upper room and they sang spiritual songs and new songs and they wrote songs. It doesn't say they got up and they preached so they couldn't breathe, nor does it say they got up and taught one another in still small voices. But what it says is they were gathered together in one place and in unity. When was the last time that we started understanding that it doesn't matter what's going on? It doesn't matter what style of music we sing. It doesn't matter how we preach. If we can come in the house with unity... I'm sick and tired of us pious Pentecostals. Well, that Baptist church could really do something if they'd get the anointing. Well, we've got 40 and they got 400. Well, if that Methodist church over there would get their eyes on the Spirit. Let me tell you something, church. If we would start understanding that it's not a style, it's not a tradition, it's not a denomination, it's not a church, but it's the unity of the power of God. Is there any, is there any benefit to God being here? If we know that there's a benefit to God, we need to come together and I can lock arms with the Baptist, with the Methodist, with the Free Methodist, with the Presbyterian. I don't care who I'm locking arms with. If we're together unified, believing that God wants to change lives, we can work out the details later. You better learn how to worship with other denominations because I sure hope there's somebody in the church of God in heaven. If it's just the church of God, we'll meet in that place to death. We'll have to have two-thirds of votes of this committee and majorities on that committee and elect this one to serve there and that one to serve there and try to figure out what we're going to call them in the process. I know I'm preaching to people. Thankfully, you're not corrupted by all that stuff. By now, in the Church of God, we've got whole we got whole groups of people that spend all their time trying to decide if we're supposed to be called bishops or, or ordained ministers. 
we, we, we don't even know what to call ourselves. I don't care what to call me as those you call me Christian. Come on now. Let me tell you something. When we understand that what we're looking for doesn't come by song. It doesn't come by sermon. It doesn't come by shout. It comes by unity. Then we start saying, okay, I, I need some unity. I love what Paul says in the New Living Translation. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together with the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then, if there is, he didn't say, he didn't give the answer. He said, I'm assuming there is. If there is, then... Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Paul is preaching through this letter to a Philippian church, and he's what he's telling them is quit worrying about your will. Quit worrying about your taste. Quit worrying about your title, your position, your name, your place, where your seat is. Quit worrying about all of those things. If there is victory in Jesus, if there is power in his presence, if there is love, if there is mercy, then make me happy by wholeheartedly let me read this again. Make me happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Is there any victory in Jesus? Is there any power in the resurrection? Is there any anointing in the Holy Ghost? Then as your pastor, let me say, if there is, then make me happy. By agreeing with one another wholeheartedly. By working together with one purpose and one mind. He took the spiritual out of it. If you've seen what God can do when the power of the anointing falls, it doesn't fall to a program. It doesn't fall to a tradition. It falls to unity. If we can understand that, then let's have unity. Let's make a decision to wholeheartedly agree together. To come in and say, I am going to trust. It doesn't have to be my way. We can work together in one mind and one purpose. I go back to the little things that divide us. Our, our Bible versions, our, our, our dress codes, our hair follicles. Our, our, our backgrounds, our culture, those 
the devil will use to separate us. But if we come together and we begin to wholeheartedly say, listen, I love it that you read the King James Version. I love that. Man, wear a tie and choke yourself all you want. That's awesome. That's a nice tie. I had to comb my hair today. I'm going to shave it this week. So, when we quit worrying that we look different, we dress different, we learn different, and we start saying, all I care is that we get the word of God. All I care is that we worship him. All I care is that we can join hand in hand. We don't have to look the same to be the same. We can be in one mind and one accord. When we begin to understand that unity is a decision. How do we... How do we make a decision that makes the pastor happy? First thing we got to understand is there's things that we don't be. He goes on. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. He goes on down in verse 4 and he says, don't look only for your own, out for your own interest. He gives them some don'ts. Every decision has some do's and some don'ts. Don't be selfish. Mm, That's a problem in America. We're raised to be selfish. Selfish is an original sin. You know how I know that? How many of you taught your kids how to say no? I didn't teach my kids. They learned it well, but I didn't teach them. No, I think you did because you say no a lot. Um, We didn't teach our kids to say no. How many of you taught your kids to say mine? Mine, that's mine, mine. You know how fast those words no and mine come into the vocabulary of our children? You know why? It's because it's an original sin. It was inbred in us. We were born into that. For all is sin that falls short of the glory of God. We are born into a selfish mindset. We have to teach our kids to share. We have to teach our kids to obey. Don't be selfish. Oh, now we know how to teach our kids to share, but we don't want to share when we get to church. That's my chair. I preached when I first got here. It ain't yours. And, and, and I was meeting with the pastor at the church where they had the funeral for Brother Larry, and I was talking to him after the funeral, and they had just got chairs in their sanctuary in December. And he said, people are, you know, still getting used to it. I said, Pastor, let me give you some advice. He says, okay. I said, 
about every six to eight weeks, I rearranged my chairs. He looked at me. I said, he goes, wow. I said, yep. I said, people leave their Bibles in chairs. There are more people in this church lost Bibles because they left them in a chair. Have to go around and look all over the building try to find out where your Bible went, got put. I'll teach you to take your Bible home and read it. Oh, come on now. I said, I move them around. That way they understand change. Every time they come in, every, every so often, they got to figure out a new place to sit. they got to figure out a new view of the church. Sometimes they move over a little bit. They don't know if they sit in the center section or the right section or the left section or the left center section or the right center section. See, we get selfish. We want it to be our way. Paul says, don't be selfish. If, if, if you really want this unity, if you really want to be unified together, and if you read on through this, you find out what he's actually talking about is unity with Christ. Because when we become unified together, we become unified with him. He said, then you can't, it can't be about you. Don't be selfish. Don't, don't think it's about what you like or what you want. Don't try to impress others. I'm so impressive. I'm so impressive. I hope mom and dad watch this video. They watch most of them. I'm going to pick on dad. Dad had a procedure done this week and removed a, a large mole from his back. Good news is everything came back clear. Praise God. They knocked him out. They did about five stitches. And they said, now you can't lift anything for the next few days because those stitches on the back will tear out easy. Well, me and dad had plans. He did this on Wednesday. We had plans to go to Tennessee on Thursday to get Michael's stuff. So we go down there in his pickup. And dad does a really good job. I said, dad, you can't touch anything. Okay. And I said, now I'm too lazy to touch anything. I said, so I get in the back truck. Michael, you carry it down the stairs and bring it and put it in the truck. I'll slide it around. <laughs> dad watched me watch Michael work. That was, it was a great plan. He didn't give me one lick of trouble until. We got back to Sykes, and we left all of Michael's stuff in Sykes, and it's closer to Cleveland than we are. So we left all Michael's. So we backed that truck up there to start unloading, and then it starts grabbing stuff. Put it down. I, I, I can put it down. And Mom kept going, you promised me you wouldn't do anything. And then all of a sudden it hit me. My mom and dad have been married over 50 years. 52 or 53 years. My dad didn't give me a bit of problem not lifting anything so he could take care of his back until he was in front of mom. And 50 years of marriage later, he was still trying to impress her. I was like, you get married long enough, you don't have to impress her anymore. She's stuck. She can't go anywhere anyway. 
But that's what we do. We, oh, I got to be impressive. Mm, See, I have to be careful. I'm starting. I got to be careful sometimes when I'm sitting around Beth. Because, Because when we first started dating, found out that Beth likes the way I sing. Oh, watch this. Whoop. Uh, I found out that Beth likes the way I sing. And if I'm not careful, sometimes I'll be around Beth. And it'll be one of those songs that fits that range well. And I'll be like, I'm worshiping you, God, but I'm impressing my wife. She loves my voice. She loves me because I can sing so well. Oh, I can go one step more. My wife loves it when I get on those drums and I start playing the drums. She likes a drummer. And I'm like, I'm worshiping God, but once you best watch me play the drums. Oh, I go home on a Sunday night after I've played the drums and sang and Beth will hold my hand. Those eyes get to twinkling. She heard me sing and play the drums tonight. You know what? Every bit of worship I was trying to do was gone. Because it was about impressing somebody. You know, we do that with the person sitting next to us. We do. Oh, I want all my worship team members and musicians to listen to me. Your job is not to impress anybody with your talent or your ability on a keyboard or with a microphone or on drums. Your job is to glorify God. If it ever becomes more about look how good I can play or hear how good I can sing, you need to get on your knees and understand that we're not here to be impressive of people. That's what leads to disunity. Oh, I've been there. When the praise team was like, we worshiped God so well tonight and y'all did nothing. Might as well change the words of our song. It's all about me. It's supposed to be all about him. We We want to impress people by our titles, by our positions, by the fact we never have to go to the altar. Or by the fact we run the altar before anybody else because we're more holy and we pray more. Mm. We've got to make sure that everything we do in the church is not about bringing attention to us, but rather about bringing attention to Jesus Christ. I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. I'm not even going to ask you to forgive my redundance. Just live with it. Uh, I have prayer meetings. Used to have early morning prayer meetings in Ohio because I had to get up and work. So after work, I'd come pray. I invited people to come pray with me. Most mornings, nobody was there, and I'd walk around the church and just pray in my heart. One morning, two or three people showed up. I walked around all morning going, Dear God, I want you to pour out from heaven. Lord, I want you to send your anointing. Lord, I want you. As they began to leave, I began to continue to pray. And I said, God, 
Why can't I pray when nobody's here? You know what God said? Why can't you pray when people are here? He said, when, people's nobody, when nobody's here, you talk to me. When everybody's here, you start talking so they can hear how good you pray. I was working to impress. I was working to impress. I'm going to tell you something. We can't do anything for our own glory. I don't, this is pretty obvious. I don't preach to make people happy. I, I, I preach to share the word of God. That, that, that's why I don't worry about what I say. That's why I don't worry about if I step on your toes because I'm not here to make you happy anyway. Oh, but do I have to be careful? Yeah. Because sometimes you come up and go, Pastor, that was awesome. And everybody knows what I say. He does the work. I just play. Sometimes I'm like, well, that's pretty good. <laughs> Played a little more today. I wish other people could hear me preach. Wish they invite me to preach at conferences and camp meetings. I can preach good enough to preach there. Mm -mm. See, it's not about my recognition. It's not about impressing people. It's about glorifying the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I still pray it occasionally. I used to pray it all the time. I used to pray, God... Let everyone that hears this sermon remember the message, but let them forget who preached it. There was a message that changed my life when I was 18 years old. I I didn't even tell the story, but I was talking to Brian and Rennie at lunch. I was talking about how that mom and dad pastored a church when I was about 18, and we had a church split in that church. And it was ugly, and it was nasty. And I told them, I almost lost all of my faith. I almost left the church. The hurt was so bad. The anger was so deep-seated in my heart. But some young preacher, and to this day I couldn't tell you his name. I wouldn't know him if he walked in the room. He came to that church and preached a Sunday night service. He didn't know anything that was going on, and he preached fire of a God in a fire of God in that church. He he was quoting things that people were saying behind our backs. He was quoting things that were going on. He knew nothing about what was happening in our church. The Lord had revealed things to him. He preached He preached conviction and love and forgiveness. That message changed my life. It kept me from walking away from faith. But within two weeks, I couldn't have told you who it was that preached it. Why? Because it wasn't about the preacher. It was about the message. Let me tell you something, church. Don't be selfish. Don't be trying to impress one another. He goes on in verse 4, and he says, uh, don't look out only for your own interest. Don't only be looking out for yourself. If you want to have unity, you have to start with some don'ts. Don't be selfish. Don't be in, try to impress people. Don't be showy. Don't be looking out for number one. You have to understand that you are just a weapon in God's arsenal. You're just a, an implement that God has to use. 
<laughs> Notice I'm not telling you don't like your style of music. I'm not telling you to change which Bible you read. I'm not telling you to take your tie off. I'm not even telling you to grow hair. I would say borrow some, but they're not really get in trouble. Uh, but <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna stay over here the rest of the service. Uh, but let me tell you something. When we begin to understand that it's not about us. Let me tell you something. Where are my young people or my, my I don't have to be young people. Where are my people like contemporary music in here? Can I tell you something? You're worse than most of the ones that like Southern Gospel and the Redback Hymnal. You, you, you know why sometimes we're worse than them? Because we'll throw a fit if you pull out a Redback Hymnal. Like Sing that old music. Let me tell you something, church. Man, I got up this morning and I came this close to having you pull out a redback hymnal. This close. I think it's in the redback hymnal because the spirit began to speak with her and all I kept hearing my name in my head was there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. And man, I, I'm sitting there going, man, where's a hymnal at? Huh? You need to find that song. Let me tell you something. We've got to understand that it's not about us. Quit being selfish. Quit trying to impress people. Quit looking out for what we want. But instead, if there's some things that we don't be, then there's some things that we be. I'm driving, uh, I'm driving Diane crazy over here. If there's some don't do's, then there's some do's. So you need to do's them. Is that better? He says, listen. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. But then he says, be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Be humble. Oh, man, humility is my best thing. You got that. I'm more humble than anybody else I know. Be humble. What, is, what does it mean to be humble? Being humble means it's not about me. You know, it's sometimes a challenge for people like me to be humble. I'm a spotlight person. God made me a spotlight person because he called me to preach his word. I spend over half of every service with the microphone. I, I, I have everybody, I spend ha over half of every service with everybody looking at me and listening to me except those that are asleep, and that's beside the point. And, and uh, it's easy. I'm on a roll tonight, I don't know. It's easy to lose your humility. It's easy to get up here and think it's about me, but every time I start thinking how good I preach today, I remember those times that I preached without the anointing. 
I remember that second sermon in Geneva, Ohio, where I preached everything I knew about my verse three times in less than five minutes. I know y'all think that would be a miracle. And I did it in one spot, right behind the pulpit. And I closed that sermon with such a powerful altar call. I said, that's all I got, folks. Y'all come pray. That was it. And I knelt down in that altar. I wouldn't even lay hands on anybody. I wouldn't pray for anybody. I knelt down in an altar and I said, God, I'm through. I can't do this anymore. And God said, study to show yourself approved. Prepare. And pray. And then God had the audacity to say, now when you're through whining, get up and move two people down from you in the altar and pray for that young man because you're about to lead him to the Lord. And the very first person ever to get saved in my ministry got saved that night. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And God taught me in one night that it's not about me. It's not about my ability. It's not my, about my, 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 the, the talent I have of putting words together. It's not about how good I speak grammatically. (laughs) Diane said, that's good. But it's about the anointing that flows through me. Without that anointing, there is nothing. I've had people ask me before. Oh, a lot of people laugh when you preach. You ever thought about doing comedy? I said, no, I'm not that funny when I'm not in the pulpit. <laughs> Beth says, amen. I, it, it doesn't work because it's an anointing thing. It, it's, what, it's how God's anointing flows through me. It's not about me. Humility comes not when you say, I can't do anything. That's low self-esteem. Humility comes when you say, everything that I do comes from Christ, and it is for Christ, and it's only from him and for him. I may get up and preach to hundreds or thousands in my lifetime. I may get to preach thousands of sermons and leave hundreds, maybe thousands to the Lord, but it was never about me. It was never about me. Humility is not low self-esteem. We get that so confused. (gasps) I can't do anything. I'm humble. I can't do anything. I found a long time ago that most people go around saying how bad they are, waiting for somebody to tell them how good they are. So they're manipulators. We manipulate people. Tell me how good I am because I tell you how bad I am. No. When we find true humility, we walk in the anointing and the power that God gave us for his strength and for his glory. And when people come up and and people will give you praise, it's going to happen. It's even happened to me. If it's happened to me, it'll happen to anybody. You have to give that praise to God. Corey Tim Boom was asked one time how she stayed so humble and how she dealt with adversity. Because Corey Tim Boom, if you know anything about her, she, had, she was a, 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 a Jewish child that was hid in the attic of her house while the Nazis came through. 
and God delivered her, and she became a great speaker and a great teacher. And, and when I was a young boy, I read a, one of her books. And, 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 you know, if I read a book, it was something powerful because I don't read that often, especially when I was younger. I didn't like to read. I had reading problems. I didn't like to read. But she said when somebody asked her about her humility, she says, well, every time somebody gives me a compliment, she said, I turn that compliment in my mind, I turn that compliment to a rose, and I give it to God. And they said, well, how do you deal with adversity? She goes, every time somebody says something hateful or mean or ugly to me, I turn it into a rose, and I give it to God. See, her humility wasn't in the whether or not she could write good books. It wasn't whether or not she was a phenomenal speaker. It was about that everything she did was a gift to God. And when you give the praise to God, you can give the attacks to God. Be humble. He says, he says be humble. He says, let me get up here. I got to get it right. It's, uh, don't look up here. Uh, where am I? Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. When are we going to get to the place that we start understanding your idea has merit? I want you to hear me. I'm not saying that everybody's idea is always, that we always have to go somebody else's idea. I'm saying we've got to listen We've got to discuss. I tell you what, and there's a few of our members here tonight. We have now, and we've had for the last four years, probably the best church and pastor's council I've ever seen in any church I've ever been a part of. But you want to know why? Because we don't walk in there, everybody trying to get their ideas across. We walk into that room and we share ideas, and we cultivate ideas. We made a decision four years, whatever it was, five years ago, wherever it was that we started a council with the very first council this church had. The very first meeting, we made a decision as a council. I told them, I said, my desire is that unless we need it for legal purposes, I don't ever want to take a vote in this room. Because votes is about one decision beating another. But my desire is that in everything that we possibly can, I want us to come to a complete consensus. I want us to talk it out. I want us to work around ideas and work around thoughts until all of us say that's the one that works. And now we're on our third version of the council, and we still do the same thing. And when we do take a vote, I don't think any vote we've ever had to take has been anything other than 100%. You know why? Because we understand, I may not like your idea. And it may not even be a good idea. Let's be real. It may not be a good idea. But if I hear your idea, there may be part of that idea. That makes my idea work better. And then when we hear her idea, that part of your idea that made my idea better helps my idea make her idea the one we need to go with. Why? Because we begin to listen to one another. 
I, I, I got to quit. But can I tell you something? You can't talk out ideas. You can't look to other people as better than yourself if you don't talk to other people. We got to be sharing. We got to be. We got to be visiting. We got to be fellowshipping. We were matter of fact that was part of our last council meeting. We talked about how we need fellowship. We're looking at sometime this summer doing a. Uh, we talked about doing another singing. And then that that evolved through things. We may wind up doing a singing at the park, having fellowship and a meal and a singing and and just having a good time. Wouldn't that be awesome? I figure we'll wait till it's about 148 degrees outside. That, I don't do any services outside unless it's 110 or higher. And, and you know, but, 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 you know, it's, it's, or, or it's, see, see, God's like, do it now. Anyway, uh, we've got, we've got a, we got a, we got a fellowship. And then that verse four says, don't look out only for your own needs. But pay attention to others as well. Somewhere, we got to pay attention to other people. You. I, I love my wife. Love my and I loved her before she got MS. But I'm gonna tell you something, and I'll love her when she's healed. But I'm gonna tell you something. When she got to a place that she couldn't do, and I had to start watching her, I learned what true love really was. I learned what it truly meant to cherish. When, when you cherish somebody, you, you put their needs ahead of you. And whether you like it or you don't like it, whether you find it disgusting, no matter what it is, you do it for them because you love them. You care for them. I found out what it meant to be overbearing. You can't do that. Why were you bending over to pick up that piece of paper out of the floor? Her answer always is, because if I don't pick it up, it'll lay there for a week. I don't care. When you try to pick that paper up, I got to pick you up. Why do I say things like that? Because I don't want her to fall. I, I don't want her to get hurt. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want pain to come to her. And I've learned that kind of mercy and that kind of love. What if we had that kind of love for each other? What if we loved each other enough to say, ooh, you're about to fall off the deep end. You need to get back in the word because you're making some decisions right now that ain't going right. Instead of being in the church, have you seen what they're doing? I promise you, I think they got the devil in them. Well, if they got the devil in him, go cast him out. What happened 
to a group of people who are unified enough to come together and say, listen, I love you, Ann, but what you're doing right now, you're a little off. We need to pray about this together. We need to look at this together. Let's look at the word together. Let's, let's find the right answer. I don't want you doing something that's going to hurt you. Because when we began to look out for others too, we find unity. When we find unity, you got to hear this. When we find unity, here's what he says. I'm going to read, starting in verse 1, everything I've talked about tonight. I'll skip that slide. We'll get to it later. I already did it. All the way back to where I started, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort in his, from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look only for your, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have. Hear that? Not please do. You must have the same attitude Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think, he did not think equality with God was something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege and took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being and appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What he says is when we find unity, we find unity with Christ and unity with Christ happens because he has humbled himself. He walked away from what? he had and he took on what we had all so that God could elevate him and God could make his name glorious not for his power but to bring glory to the father and not only to bring glory to the father but so that he could stand by the father's side and make intercession for us and bring us to where he is unity brings Eternity. Unity destroys punishment. Unity connects us, adopts us, and saves us if we will just trust. Let's bow our heads together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to walk in unity. Let us make the decision to serve you, to magnify you, to glorify you, not for our privilege, not for our praise, but for yours. Lord, help us to learn to work together, love each other, 
to look out for one another, to be humble, to be generous, and to be faithful so that your power can fill our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.